The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. I'm so happy to get a chance to talk about happiness. Last week, we began the first part. Today's the second and the last part, and and it's all about unconditional happiness. And today's topic is the how of happiness. And I want to really, really dig into some possible techniques for us about happiness. And I was thinking this past week about it, thinking, well... You know, why was I compelled to do two weeks on happiness? Surely one week would have been enough, right? But I realized that this is an important topic. I I can feel at the core of the heart of humanity for, for this day and age, and I suspect for every day and age, we do want to feel happier. We want to live happy lives. We want to demonstrate happiness in our world. And it seems elusive to us. We don't always know how to do it. And we've got, as I said last week, these big, long, complicated stories about it. But what I know is that even though some of us might be saying, well, it's selfish for me to be focused on my happiness. I mean, there are other big fish to fry in this world. There are some really serious things going on in the world and in my life and things I've been through. And and why would I stop to focus on happiness? And the conclusion that I've drawn this week that has been very compelling for me in preparing this talk is that it's important for us to remember that when it comes to the creative process and creating our life and, and moving forward in the directions that we want to move forward in individually and collectively, the how of how we do that goes with us through the entire journey to the very end. So in other words, to have somewhat of a, a pessimistic Eeyore-ish, Eeyore, remember Eeyore from, from uh, another day, to, to approach our living and the potential solutions for our life from that standpoint, that baseline place of, well, it's all falling apart, but I'll just do my best. That even if we accomplish something, that goes with us through the journey and is a part of what ultimately shows up. Versus those of us who will contemplate and cultivate a deeper sense of contentment and and happiness in our life about being alive, being expressed, about the creative process, and about the opportunities that show up in our experience, even though we may not always like them, love them, would prefer them to be different, but underneath to have this baseline sense of well-being. As we pursue the problems and challenges we face individually and collectively, I suggest to us we'll build structures and outcomes and solutions that will be a match for that good. And it's not only that in this moment we want to feel happier, we want to create more sustainable happiness for ourselves and the generations to come and on our planet. So when you and I take time to focus and do a little work 
to create a greater sense of overall well-being in our life, we, I suggest, are supporting not only ourselves, but the people we share our lives with, the people we share life with collectively. And isn't it more fun to face challenges with other people who are at the very least somewhat optimistic about facing those challenges? (laughs) Isn't it horrible to face challenges with people who are going, I don't know, I think it's all horrible. It's harder. So this is why I think this, we, this series, this conversation demands two weeks of us. And this week, I'm focused on and brought forth information from a book called The How of Happiness. It's written by Sonia Lyubomirsky. I like her last name. Makes me feel happy just that I can say it, right? (laughs) And she's a wonderful author and a researcher. And I think we love research. I love research-based authorships and authors because uh, I am a woo-woo, intuitive sense of I I believe this is the way it is. And research, like Brené Brown does and that Sonia does, helps me feel just woo instead of woo-woo, you know, and there's, uh, there's something good about that. I feel a little more um, uh, real and realistic in my attempts to explain and practice these things. And so I'm going to share some of the research today, some of the latest research. There's a lot of research on happiness. Sonia certainly is not the only one who's done the research. You can find a lot of it, but her book is chock full of research. It's chock full of quizzes. You can take a quiz to learn your happiness quotient right now. You can uh, learn about all sorts of techniques, and I have no time to unpack the whole book for you. Well, I could if we want to stay a little longer today, but oh, Bronco game. No, that's not going to work. There's a Bronco game. So we're going to just dive in. So one of the first things I want to talk about at the very beginning of her book, and it's actually on the cover of her book that kind of gives it away, but we have a graphic that shows how happiness works. The research that they've done, that Sonia and her teams have done, have indicated that, yes, about 50% of your sense of happiness and mine is based on a set point. That set point is determined by our genetic predispositions, by the chemistry that fires off in our brains because of our genetic predispositions. So I like this because it's not a complete um, uh, disengagement from, yeah, you and I have a disposition that, that is present. You have 50% of our ability to feel happy is about right there. And, um, and so we can acknowledge this and we can see this and we can be with it. She also says, though, something that that, uh, many of us might uh, find challenging is that 10% of what allows us to feel happy has to do with circumstances, what actually happens in our life. And a lot of times we feel it's the other way around. 50% of my happiness is based on what you just did or what you're not doing or what happened. Nope, 10%. She says that the research bears out that 40% of our sense of happiness is completely 100% under our purview. That our ability to increase our sense of happiness, 40% of that is all about, and she says, what we think, what we habitually think about, and behaviors that we indulge ourselves in. And so the book is filled with, if you want to increase that 40%, which their research bears out, we absolutely can. That people who take 
into their lives, that level of accountability. And I love that because that's what this teaching is all about. Science of Mind and Spirit, this teaching is about that 40%. And every week that we come together, the opportunity to explore techniques and methodologies in our classes, in our small groups, in our conversations, what are some of the things that I can be thinking about? What are some of the behaviors that I can be engaging in that can increase my overall sense of satisfaction, well-being, and happiness in the world? So we are in complete alignment, I would say, with this research. And we're about saying, let's all work together on our lives on that 40%. And so her book is filled with techniques and ways. It's just, it's so full. I can't even imagine how I could talk about all of it. Now she says, and my first point beyond these graphs is that the important thing to remember though, when it comes to impacting your 40% of your happiness pie is that Uh, one size does not fit all. That every one of us has, because of our genetics and because of the circumstances we faced, because of the things that we respond to maybe more than others, that we have to find our techniques and behaviors and it's not the same for everyone. That there is not something that we can say, well, if everyone would just do X, Y, and Z. And that's important because we tend to want to lob that on ourselves. If I could just do that, if I could just walk 500 miles a day, I think I'd be happy. <laughs> right? And, 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 and saying to other people, if you would just walk 500 miles a day like I do, you would be so much happier. And that's just not true. That is just not true. The research bears out that everyone has different, and she talks about these like doorways, pathways, doorways into the 40% and the lifting it up. And the key is to find your doorways, your pathways. In fact, she says, I'll go out on a limb here and say that if there's any secret to becoming happier, the secret is establishing which happiness strategies suit you best. And that's good news and bad news for us because some of us, are, we feel so busy. It's like, well, I'm too busy to figure out how to be happier. <laughs> But if we just take a little time and explore a little bit on our own, often we can find the things that will serve us because our happiness strategies have to fit our our source of unhappiness. So I like that she's saying, look, you've got to be willing to look at what do you think is keeping you from being happier? Is it ruminations about the past? Is it uh, it, uh, emotions that you don't know how to heal? Is it conditions and circumstances you can't feel like you can escape? Is it people you feel you can't escape? What is it that is the source? Because that's informative to help you understand what techniques might serve as well as what your genetic predisposition, all that good stuff. They have to fit in with your strengths and they have to fit in with your lifestyle. And once you've got a match, then there's so much that can be done with that 40%. And she says, I know a lot of people will find some of these techniques to be a bit corny. And, and they're all pretty much things that you've been hearing here in New Thought Churches. We've been talking about for ages. But she says, don't let that stop you. Don't let some sense of, well, I don't want to do anything too sentimental or silly. Because uh, sometimes the techniques you have the most resistance to 
They're yours. That's because that's exactly the thing you need to be doing. And so paying attention to the resistance that pops up is very important. So she's got a number of actions that she really leans into. And the one that I've chosen today to really talk about and bring three points to share about is practicing gratitude and positive thinking. Practicing gratitude and positive thinking. Cornerstones of our teaching. So first of all, expressing gratitude. So important. This goes beyond the, the trite, you know, Bev, be sure and say thank you for that now. You know, that kind of thing like we do with our kids. Now say thank you to the nice lady. That's important, polite stuff. But we're talking about that impactful gratitude, those moments of gratitude that we have for, look at the beautiful sunrise. I'm so grateful to be up early to see that today even though I'd rather be sleeping. You know, I, um, I talked last week about the challenge I faced with my childhood and feeling emotionally stunted and learning to find my way back to my emotional life and being so grateful now for my emotional life and ultimately circling back and being able to say thank you to my father, the man I blamed for many years for my stuntedness and be able to understand he probably gave me the greatest gift of my whole life. The ability to recover this lost aspect of myself and celebrate it and be grateful for it. And it shifted my whole perspective on my childhood and on him and allows me this state of grace and happiness that I don't know that I would have had if I hadn't practiced gratitude. Gratitude is this important transformational practice and it's why so many people have gratitude journals and practice every Every day, I every day write down things I'm grateful for that occurred in my life today because it opens my heart. And for me, a huge gateway into happiness is my little heart. The more I'm connected with my heart, the happier I am. And I, I think that's true of most humans, but I cannot unequivocally say that for every human. But for me, the more I'm in touch with the little heartfulness that goes, I am so, I have a blessed life. Now to say I have a blessed life doesn't mean everything's perfect, my life is perfect. It means that in the ways that it's perfect and in the ways that it's imperfect, I have a blessed life. And when I allow myself to feel that, I feel so much happier. So much happier. I love that. And I love how um, Roy T. Bennett said, if you aren't grateful for what you already have, what makes you think you'd be happy with more? (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) That's a good one, isn't it? So it's important to foster and cultivate gratitude. She also, also talks about cultivating optimism, which is a huge part of what we teach here. Teaching people how to be optimistic. It doesn't mean that we walk around with these smiles on our face all the time. Everything's wonderful. Some people mistakenly think it is. But she talks about little optimism and big optimism and the ability to go throughout the day and say, okay, yeah, I know I'm, I'm taking a flight later tonight, I am. And it's like, I can have optimism that everything's going to be fine and that I'm going to get there on time. And, and I can be optimistic about that. And then there's big optimism 
where we can look out at the landscape of our life right now or the world we share and say, wow, it's pretty challenging out there, but I can have big optimism that somehow we're going to figure this out. It's cultivating, choosing, consciously choosing to be more optimistic than pessimistic in our life and allowing ourselves to do that and allowing our optimism to improve our life. One of the experiments she talks about was from Laura King, a professor of University of Missouri, Columbia. And they took two groups of people and they had a group of, of people they were experimenting with and then a control group. And each day, for four days, these groups of people stopped and wrote for 20 minutes. The experimental group was asked to write an optimistic narrative of their perfect life. Just write it down for 20 minutes. I'm doing this, I'm going here, I'm traveling, I'm, I'm in love, I have plenty of money, am I healthy, I'm strong. All, every day for four days, for 20 minutes. This other group was just asked to write for 20 minutes, and some of them wrote stories, and some of them wrote about this and wrote about that. At the end of the four days, they measured their sense of happiness, and the experimental group, after four days of just doing 20 minutes of this a day, were demonstrably happier. And she talks about how the ability to cultivate optimism in this way contributes to our sense of possibility, our sense of it it could be getting better. And indeed, they went back to these folks a few weeks later and they were still feeling happier and many of them were continuing this practice. And so we can cultivate happiness. Some of us talk ourselves out of this. And I've talked a lot about this last week, and I'm continuing to talk about it this week. We talk ourselves out of happiness because we think it's trite or it's, it's somehow wrong to be happy. She quotes an author, Lee Ross, who says, optimism is not about providing a recipe for self-deception. It's not about looking at something and going, no, I'm so happy about that. Yeah, you know. Lee says, the world can be a horrible, cruel place. And at the same time, it can be wonderful and abundant. These are both truths. There is not a halfway point. There is only choosing which truth to put in your personal foreground. There is only choosing which truth to put in your personal foreground. And because we have the capacity for that 40%, we can choose. And the last point she makes in this particular section is avoiding overthinking and social comparison. Breathe. (laughs) Overthinking. Think, 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 think. But what if, and what if, and what if, and what if that, and what if this, and what if that, and what if they say, that is a block to the portal of happiness right there. Because most of our analytic thinking is going to the, the worst case scenarios, and it's a, a lot of uh, psychologists call it self-focused Renumeration, because have you noticed most of it's me, 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 me. What if this happens to me? What if this happens to me? What if this happens to me? What if that happens to me? What if they say this to me? What if this happens to me, 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 me? And while it's not horrible to be focused on ourselves, that kind of focus doesn't tend to make us happy. It really doesn't. And so learning to still our mind and 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 be calm and be 
in the present moment without overthinking things. You know, sometimes I think we should start a, a Thinkers Anonymous. Hello, my name is Michelle, and I'm a thinkaholic. <laughs> and you all say, hi, Michelle, right? And that's how it feels. I'm a thinkaholic. I can't stop thinking. Please, I want to get off. <laughs> and so we are overthinkers. Ralph Waldo Emerson, finish each day and be done with it. You could have, you've done what you could. Some blunders and assert absurdities have crept in. Forget them as soon as you can. Tomorrow is a new day and you shall begin it serenely and with too high a spirit to be encumbered with your old nonsense. Right? Yeah. Good one, Ralph. So ending that thinking, and part of the thinking we do that we obsess about is social comparison, isn't it? Constantly comparing ourselves. Well, look at that young little thing. When I was young like her, I could do that. I wish I had that. Why can't I be that? And Sonia says to us very wisely, you can't be envious and happy at the same time. And some of us are constantly comparing our... And not only are we comparing ourselves to other people, we're constantly comparing ourselves to younger versions of ourselves. Isn't that like the most painful thing? Well, when I was 20, I could do that. But you're 90. I know, but when I was 20, I could do that. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I'm sure you could. And so there is just no good that comes from that kind of thinking. I don't know if you've noticed, but I work with a pretty talented group of ministers. And when I was a young minister almost 30 years ago, and I worked with a talented group of ministers, I was so insecure. I was constantly comparing myself to them. And I noticed that it was very painful and I wasn't very happy. And when I'm in this team and I can work with these brilliant people and go, Wow, that was an amazing prayer. And I, I not get caught up, and I wish I could pray like that. And I wish I could speak like Why can't I do that? What's wrong with me that I, you know, I'm, I can't be happy? In, and I can say to you at the core of Mile High Church, the more our ministers love and lift each other up without comparing ourselves to each other, because we're each unique, we're unique and special in our own way, and we support our staff and our board and our practitioners to do the same and our members and congregants to just be you, do you, show up. Because that authentic place is a core place of happiness for us. She says, studies show that the happiest people take pleasure in other people's success. And it's the opposite for the most unhappy. I had an experience a while back with my good friend Carolyn that kind of is this whole talk in a nutshell. I'd been wanting to go take a Zumba class, and I'd been looking for Zumba classes because I, I wasn't a, a member of a gym at that time. And I found this Zumba class kind of near our house, and it was only $5. And so Carolyn and I rush out to get there, and we walk in, and it turns out that this class is in a Hispanic community, and and the whole class is in Spanish. <laughs> and everyone there is, his, is Latina, 
And it's all these beautiful little Latina mamas, and I, a shout out to them as we begin uh, Hispanic Heritage Month. And, and some people don't know it, but, you know, Medrano is a Mexican name. My grandfather was from Mexico. I have Latina heritage, and I'm proud of it, but I don't look it often. But I'm in this place, walking in, and I'm immediately feeling disenfranchised, letting myself feel disenfranchised. I'm feeling, discon- I'm feeling like, here's Carolyn and me, two middle-class white girls walking into this class, paying our $5 for the Zumba class, taking advantage of this environment. And all these mamas have all their little kids on the side of the room and their little bassinets and strollers. And the class starts, and the music is loud, of course, as it is in Zumba, and it's all in Spanish. And I understand Spanish very well, but I'm so caught up in my, uh, my opic uh, self-obsession that I can't understand a thing. So I'm running into people and I'm, and I'm thinking we don't belong here and I, I don't know if we should be here. And, the, and, and meanwhile, Carolyn is just having a good old time and she's just, and she keeps saying, this is great. And I'm going, oh, I don't know if we're supposed to be here. And, I, and I'm just caught up in my stuff. My core stuff, I don't belong here. These ladies think we are taking advantage. They must be judging us horribly. Who are we to come in and be here? And I went, it, it went on for a while, and I couldn't understand. And I, and I noticed that the more it went on, my legs felt like lead, like I was trying to Zumba, and I couldn't do anything, and I was tired, and I'm sure my eyes looked like saucers, and, and the class is going on. And finally, I, I caught myself in this stuff. And I said, okay, Michelle, what are you going to do? And I thought, my first thought was run. (laughs) Just leave. Carolyn drove separately. Go get in your car and leave. I don't want to leave her here alone. And I, you know, I promised her I'd finish this class with her. So I stayed. And I I realized shortly after that, that the lady kind of catty corner from me could really, she knew all the routines really well. And even though I couldn't see the stage that well, and I couldn't, I started watching her. And as I watched her, I started kind of feeling like I'm getting this. And at the end of the song, she turned to me and I looked at her. I smiled naturally. And I said, thank you. You really know what you're doing. And it helped me so much. And she came over, big sweaty hug, right? (laughs) Hugs me and says, we're so happy you're here. And that was it. I turned the corner. The rest of the class, I had a blast When the class was done, all of the ladies in the class said, oh, we're so glad you were here. Will you please come back? It was so fun to have you here. What's your name? You know, introducing us to their kids. And it was a beautiful experience, transformed in a few moments by me just getting a new attitude. Getting a new attitude. Being grateful. Being grateful cultivating some optimism. I can do this. I think I can do this. Minding my thoughts and making a connection. 
We talk ourselves out of happiness. We talk ourselves out of belonging. We talk ourselves out of our joy. We talk ourselves out of our solutions. No one else does this. So happiness is taking that 40% and engaging ourselves in the game of life and knowing that happiness is mine if I claim it. His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. A huge part of happiness and all these techniques, it's about connecting, having love and compassion for ourselves and allowing ourselves to shine that love and compassion out into the world, to talk ourselves into Life is good. Yeah, there's challenges. And underneath it all, my life is good. To see where our life is good and to live it out, to claim it, to own it, to be it, to walk together in the joy that our authentic life is inviting us into. This is unconditional happiness. And it's yours and it's mine. Let's Claim it, claim it, name it, claim it. And so it is. Yes. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, text 720-230-1404 or visit us at milehighchurch.org.